We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up on a Thursday? I'm Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. We got a great show for you. Got Colin Brister on to uh, preview the South Carolina series a bit, talk about Old Miss's midweek win over Murray State. Uh, Max Chofi made his debut for uh, Ole Miss in a Tuesday win. Talked a little Josh Mallets, what this team, what this series means for this team um, as they are kind of fledgling here as we reach the half point of SEC play. Pretty much this is a make or break series for Ole Miss. Uh, some of you may have already gotten to the point where you're waving the white flag, but just from a mathematical standpoint of this team making the NCAA tournament, they cannot afford to lose the series. So we got into that. Mike Bianco announced a rotation uh, for the first time in SC in about three weeks is the first time he'd announced all three guys. So we got into that a little bit. And really just the stakes of this and really what the conversation could shift to if the Rebels are unable to take two this weekend. So dove into that a bunch. Uh, I think you'll enjoy the conversation. A lot of big picture stuff mixed in as well. So got that coming down the pipe. And then I will have some uh, quick basketball thoughts at the top. Before we get to that, I want to remind you the podcast is brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, Glad you asked. So the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. March Madness is behind us, but that doesn't mean Skybox is slowing down. They've got their NBA model up and ready to go for playoffs. They've got the MLB package coming in May. NASCAR is off and running, just making cash at every track they go to. You need to check these guys out. If you're into wagering, you need to use Skybox. They're going to help lead you more consistently to profit more than anyone in the industry and definitely more so than your own brain. It is based off data. It is based off probability and not some lean you have when you look at a score um, or a matchup five minutes before tip-off or first pitch. So you need to check these guys out. You don't want to have the bookie texting you on Sunday nights asking you to square up. You want to be texting him asking where your supplementary income is. Skybox is going to do that more consistently than anyone else. I promise they're going to have a fixed package to fit your price range, whether that's month-long season-long, uh, sports-centric. You can go all sports. I recommend just using the year-long sports pass uh, for all access, and that's going to pay for itself back. And then some, think of it as an investment. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. They're going to find a, go find a picks package. Use that promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, and that'll give you 20% off. Please use the promo code. It'll let them know we sent you as well. So it's a uh, two-way street. I'm giving you free money, basically. Skybox is giving you free money, but uh, identify yourselves, please. Thank you. Um, 
podcast also brought to you by LV's University Avenue across from Kroger. Go see Greg. If you're a Rip Your Rights subscriber, that's ripyourrights.substack.com. You get a newsletter from me a couple times a week, finishing up the Thursday one right now, and discounted meats. Right now, it's a 16-ounce prime strip for 20 bucks and a $5 pack of sausage. That's one hell of a way to kickstart your grilling weekend. Then go in there, show Greg proof of subscription, and then go find all of your own favorites, all kinds of delicious cuts uh, from Wagyu to uh, bacon wrap filet, the lane train special, fresh sausages, all kinds of great stuff. The reason Greg's been in business for so long and is the best place in Mississippi to get meat is because if he doesn't have it and you come in there and you ask him for something, he's going to get it for you. Greg wants to make your grilling experience great. It's springtime. The weather's already warm. You're going to want to throw something on the grill, watch some baseball or whatever it is that you're into and enjoy yourself. Greg's going to make sure whatever you throw on the grill is going to taste delicious afterward. You need to check them out. It's really an awesome place. Oxford's so lucky to have a place like LB's. I can't wait to go back the next time I'm in Oxford. Check them out. LB's, University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, before we get to Colin Brister, I just had a couple of basketball thoughts off the top as a couple more guys have entered the transfer portal. So Jarkel Joyner is in the transfer portal. Sounds like he's probably headed to NC State. I don't have any intel on that. Uh, just reading the tea leaves and kind of reading what uh, the vibe seems to be. Luis Rodriguez in the portal also. So that is, uh, I believe that is six guys. Yeah, six guys. I want to make sure I have that right. In the transfer portal, Joyner, Rodriguez, Grant Slatten, Eric Vanderheiden, or however you say it, Austin Crowley, and Sammy Hunter. So Sammy Hunter ended up at Akron. Good for him. Seemed like, like a nice guy. Just didn't work out at all. Miss. Not sure he was a high major player, SEC player. Um, if you're sensing a theme there. But the reason I wanted to get to this was Jarko Joyner was a big one. I don't think he's a perfect fit next year if you're going to keep Matthew Morell and you're going to keep Deshaun Ruffin. I don't think uh, Joyner is necessarily the greatest fit with those two. Um, you know, I don't think he necessarily – he was a good shooter. Um, you know, he got to the rim at times. But outside of that, he wasn't a great creator. And I think Morell needs to play off of a guy who creates for him. And I think uh, Deshaun Ruffin can absolutely do that. Like, Ruffin was really figuring out before he tore his ACL at LSU. But that's neither here nor there. I'm not just – this is not a segment to justify Jarko Joyner leaving. This is actually the opposite. Whatever you think of Joyner, whether it's a good fit, whether it's not a good fit, you know, whether he can be a number one scorer on an SEC team, I have my doubts. But, again, not the point. The point was what message did they sell two weeks ago. Think about this for a second. For looking back, when – we did, I think I went through it with Kyle, and I definitely did it on Neil's podcast, the bizarre press release, Kermit Davis and Ole Miss basketball issued uh, about a week after the season, after their Tuesday night loss to Missouri in the SEC basketball tournament, or Wednesday night, whatever the hell it is, it doesn't matter. Um, kind of just addressing the future of the basketball program, right? You had that kind of lull period where you thought Kermit Davis was back, but you're not really sure. You didn't know what was quite going on and they announced that he will return next year and it's this bizarre press release about how one they're not they don't anticipate any staff changes they're going to attack the portal as hard as anyone in the country and I believe directly in that statement it said we have a great core coming back in Matthew Morrell, Deshaun Ruffin, and Darkell Joyner. Hmm. Well let's take that statement apart real quick. So one of the three members of said core is now in the transfer portal. Uh, you know he told on three the old Miss Spirit uh, about a week two weeks ago, week and a half ago, that he did not anticipate any staff changes in the offseason. And now he has lost Levi Watkins to NC State, his best recruiter, and Ronnie Hamilton to LSU. So two of his three assistants are now gone. And this is coming at a time he's not made a hire. I don't know if you heard any names. Have you read anything about who he might hire? He's got two vacant assistant spots in the most critical time for locking down your roster next year from the transfer portal part of it. Um, 
Like, so this is the time where guys are figuring out where they're going. Like they, they need to be figuring out who they're getting in the portal you know, this weekend, next weekend, in the next two to three weeks pretty much. And they've got from everything we know, I guess there could be something different, one assistant coach. That's not great. Um, so imagine you have Ole Miss, your job like Ole Miss, you already have a hard enough time getting talent. It's going to be a hard sell, you know, with the Kermit Davis job situation and all that. And then add in the fact that you're recruiting with 66.3 less uh, assistants than anyone. And assistants are kind of handcuffed to prospects. Assistants get you guys, and guys follow assistants. It's kind of how college basketball works. So um, I would say that is suboptimal. Okay. Then the other part of it was I believe he said we're going to attack the transfer portal harder than anyone in the country. Really? Well, the only guy they have in the portal right now is – what's that kid's name? Uh, McKinnis? Javius McKinnis, the Jackson State forward, who had a decent career at Jackson State. You know, get, you know 15 points, 10 rebounds a game somewhere in that neighborhood. Um, I talked to a couple people of, you know, that would know, like, who McKinnis was. And, you know, one of them mentioned that Jacksonville State was in on McKinnis. And that was about all anyone anyone had to say about him. So, right now they have Jackson, JV, Javius McKinnis from Jackson State and no one else. Have you heard any names? Kenneth Lofton, the guy at Louisiana Tech, who's a pretty good player, said he's getting interest from Ole Miss. But have you heard any, you know, possible, like, leads on where this is going? Because this should be – we should have more of a blueprint of what this roster is going to look like at this point. And you really don't have anything. So, where is this going? What are they doing? What is happening in there right now? Another part of it, you know, think, well, who else do they have coming in? How many spots they have left? By my math, I think they have two. It might be three. I'm not sure. Not really the point. Why do they only have two or three? Well, they're bringing in four high school kids. That's interesting. What did Kermit Davis say in his press conference following the Missouri loss? It was the fact that they took too many high school kids the previous class before. And, you know, when depth – I mean, when injuries started to eat into their depth, they didn't have enough guys who were ready to contribute. Well, how many high school kids did they take last year? Hmm, four, which three of which are now in the portal. Grant Slatten, Eric Weinerheiden, sorry, only two. That's my bad. Two of them are in the portal. One of them was Ruffin. So the three that couldn't contribute, uh, James White, who barely contributed, mostly injury-based. I don't really know what his status is. I'm assuming he's back next year. Two of the four are now in the portal. And you admitted you took too many. At the time, I was like, okay, you know, at least he's realizing this strategy is not not the most ideal when you're trying to reshape the roster in a year. Why take the high school kids when you, you know, have a more known commodity out of the transfer portal? Well, how many have they taken this year? Four. Are we really learning any lessons here? Like, I just don't understand. I don't understand what's going on. So you now have four high school kids. You have gotten one guy from Jackson State out of the transfer portal, and you have made no move when it comes to hiring assistant coaches. It is – April 14th, what, what, what are we doing? I feel like when, when all of this went down and he was retained for another year, we probably knew where all of this is headed. But the beauty of college basketball and the transfer portal and the one-time free transfer now is that you can reshape a roster in a year. And if you can keep the core together, like he mentioned, and not have any staff turnover and kind of keep your strong recruiters, Levi Watkins, cough, cough, maybe there's a prayer. Well, now both of those guys are gone. One of the three of the core that he mentioned is gone. They haven't made it hardly any traction in the portal. And the strategy, he said, didn't work last year in terms of taking high school kids. It appears they're following the exact same strategy this year. Are we learning any lessons or are we continuing to do the same thing, expecting a different result? That, my friends, is the definition of insanity. And that might be what unfolds 
come November for next basketball season that is feeling more and more by the day like a formality. All right, here is Colin Brister on a crucial series for Ole Miss baseball. All right, we now welcome on Rippy Wright's baseball correspondent, Colin Brister, here for our uh, usually usual Wednesday night conversation uh, about Ole Miss's opponent. They're playing South Carolina this week. The, uh, the Rebels had a midweek game. It's the kids' school day game, which in some years has been the infamous school day game if it's North Alabama. They beat Murray State 8-2. to two. I think it's safe to say the Rebels are back. Should we start hus- talking about hosting? That's a good point. Um, number number five national seed coming at you live. That's what happens when you beat Murray State. Um, yeah, I, I, school day games have been an issue in the past. They lost a doubleheader uh, like my junior year to UAB on a school day game. Oh, that I remember was, Mike. Was, Mike absolutely bit Parrish's head off that day. For uh, Chase, are you serious? Yeah, I don't remember what it was about. I think Parrish asked about the energy, which kind of makes sense, right? And and I think Mike told him it was a horseshit way to ask the question. You're saying the 12 year olds didn't bring the energy, Parrish? I'm saying, uh, I'm saying that exactly. My other favorite thing about the school day game was one, us forgetting that North Alabama was a school day game, making fun of the announced attendance on the podcast, and then having a guy that listens email in and say, Hey, actually, that was correct. It's just everyone was under the age of 12. <laughs> it was a school day game. So I'm going to, I'm going to be uh, the curmudgeon. I hate school day games. Um, and it may be because I have some anxiety issues, but every time a foul ball is screamed into the stands, as someone that teaches children and know their, knows their attention spans, I pray to God nobody gets their face taken off. Like, it I, scares the crap out of me. I think you share that with quite a few folks. I remember that being the general sentiment of the school day game. And, look, I think it's a cool thing they do, right? Like, two things can be sure. true. It's like having them get out of school, go to the ballpark. Like, I would, I would, I would lose my mind over that if I was, you know, a third grader getting to get out of school and go watch a college baseball game. But I'm with you on that. But you, the, you saying that made me think. Bruce Newman, legendary photographer of the Oxford right. School, has been around. If you told me Bruce was born in 1850, I would believe you. Like, he, the guy's just been around <laughs> for forever. He used to come up. You mentioned being kind of old and curmudgeon. He used to come up in the press box sometimes and just he'd start shaking his head. He goes, one of these kids is going to get hit. I'm telling you. And it was almost like he was, clearly wasn't rooting for a kid to get hit. But I think if somebody had ever gotten hit, a small part of him, like would want to have jumped up inside and said, ha, I told you so. Look at like the seams in that kid's forehead. I told you this was going to happen. Said it for years. So I don't think you're alone on that one. So going to get bullied on the, uh, on the, on the monkey bars tomorrow. Yeah. Like, you'd be honestly, I mean, look, it could get serious, but if you caught a shiner from a foul ball in like fourth grade, wouldn't you be like the coolest kid in school? Oh yeah. Yeah. You get like, you get like juice boxes and you know, like they probably make some happies for you. It'd be, it'd be a great trip. Um, yeah, can we start sitting those kids in section O and like N and then A and B? Maybe maybe take take some steam off the foul balls because I, I covered one of those things and it was just the scariest thing ever. Yeah, it really is. Uh, it it is kind of unsettling. They I saw this year they put some of the kids in the outfield. Yeah, it's smart. Yeah, I was about to say I don't know what uh I don't know like how that like rearranged the rest of the stadium, but there were some years where they were packed down in the lower level past where the netting extends. And I was like, oh, this is, this is a disaster waiting to happen. But Probably it, need to keep them out of right field. Yeah. I would, <laughs> if I was a uh, fourth grader, I, yeah, I'd probably keep them out of right field. You know, there's probably a couple of kids out there who's, uh, 
maybe GPA is not their great. Like they're probably worried about skip, other skip in sociology. Yeah, like here, fifth grader, would you like this bush light? Um, that would probably not be great, but you could stick them anywhere else in the stadium. But um, so the Rebels survived the school day game. Before we get into South Carolina, I think they're really the only storyline. Yeah, I'd say there's a couple notes. Big one, Max Trophy back in a big way. Um, yeah. Trophy gets an inning. Um, it was honestly, you know, when it becomes more than a baseball thing in my mind uh, when things like this happen. It was honestly just to see a guy like that uh, back on a baseball field and being able to pitch and clearly doing something he loves again. And you think about Max, he's a, I think he's already a fifth-year guy. He definitely has one more year of eligibility yeah. than he wants to. But I heard Chase mention this uh, when he was talking to Neil on one of their shows this week. That's a guy that's already graduated and could have just said, eh. I'm going to get on with my life. Like this hasn't turned out the way I wanted it to, but chose to stuck it out and chose to do it. And I'm happy that it worked out enough for him to get back on the field pretty much a year, a little over a year, I think. Yeah. Since the surgery, if I'm not mistaken, I think since the actual injury is about 13 and a half months, but I was just happy to see him as a human being out on the baseball field, kind of doing something and getting back and conquering that because, you know, Tommy John's not what it once was, but man, that's still a lot of mental fortitude to have to overcome something like that. You think about how yeah, it, much the rehab is, my God. Yeah. So it's, it's not, it's not career ending, but it is a really, really hard um, surgery to come back from. Um, if that makes sense. Like nobody's scared of Tommy John anymore, but you got to work your tail off to get back into shape to be a, be a baseball pitcher. Um, I thought Trophy looked good and I'm happy for him. Like you said, this is a guy that you remember in 2018, um, was the freshman guy that they kind of got some mop-up innings. Um, he and Elko, I guess, were the only two remaining from the Tennessee Tech debacle. I think that's probably right. Um, and, and then 19, he, he was a guy that got a few more innings. 20, he started to be one of their best bullpen arms. And then obviously last year with the injury, uh, just, you know, obviously doesn't materialize. I, I think he's going to help them at some point this year. I, I really do. I, I mean, I think he's a guy that's going to fill up the strike zone with a high spin rate fastball. Curveball, uh, you said looked good yesterday. I'll be honest, I, I didn't get a chance to watch his outing. Um, but but he's a guy that man, he's been through he's been through some big situations. I think he's a guy that you look back in, uh, you know, the end of uh, this year, and, and he's a guy that really really helped you. Oh, I'm with you. Uh, Chase has a story up on RebelGrove.com right now. If you want to read it about Chofi and his journey back and. Um, you know, giving them another bullpen option. I absolutely think he's going to help them. It's always, you know, with, with walking into this situation, right? I mean, I guess your first, like, giddy instinct would be, like, sweet, how long can he – till he can start on Fridays, right? Like, you got to temper the expectations a little bit. But I do think he could help them. Um, honest to God, with the way this bullpen I mean, – the way this pitching staff is as a whole, he could probably help them this weekend in some capacity, right? I don't know what his leash is. I don't know what kind of – um, you know, plan he's on in terms of the amount of pitches he needs to throw and the stress on his arm and all that. I, I genuinely have no idea. I do figure if he was healthy enough to throw in a game, then he's probably healthy enough to, you know, respond what they threw on Tuesday, you know, two, three yeah. days later, right? Like, so I think he could help them at some point this weekend. Breaking ball looked pretty sharp. Fastball velo was down a little bit, but that's to be expected, you know, 12, 13 months post Tommy John surgery. That's kind of how it works, right? What you would know better than me about 18 is when you get kind of the full velocity back or that's the point out completely fair. When you just, when it's a non-thought about 18. Yeah. Months, I, I would, yeah. I would go 18. Yeah. I, I would go 18. Um, I think months 15, 14 to 15 is where you can probably 
pitch uh, pretty competitively and be effective. Um, yeah, I think by the time, you know, the 1st of May and 1st of June rolls around, if Ole Miss is lucky enough to get there, um, I think he'll be a guy that will, will be fine. I don't think he's quite on the Tyler Myers trajectory where, you know, Myers kind of got, uh, you know, progressed throughout the season into larger and larger roles. I don't think he at any point is going to be a, going to be able to throw five and six innings for Ole Miss. Maybe he will. I hope I'm wrong. But I do think a guy he's a guy that, man, he could, he could come in and give you one or two and, and get you to a Brandon Johnson or someone like that uh, with very little issue. Yeah, and I like the way uh, you did a good job outlining what he started as when he got uh, early on in his career and what he became because I actually had that pulled up on the other screen here. That's what I was going to go through next. You're right. So in 18, kind of reserve guy. In 19, he was one of the guys – Basically, and I don't remember a lot of the – I say I don't remember a lot of the 19 season. I don't remember a lot of the minutiae of it. But based off his game log and from what I remember, he was a guy that pit, chipped in on the weekend when he had to. Like, I'll put it to you this way. Two of his, like, five SEC outings in 19 – I think he had five, six SEC outings – came against State. You remember what happened to them that year? They got swept. Like, he was kind of an – I try, I try to put that out of, the, out of my mind. Yeah, he was kind of an innings eater when things got bad. Like, he had a start uh, outing against Auburn where he covered 3.1 innings. They lost the game. I don't know the score. I think this final score – oh, 5-6. Actually, he was in a competitive game. With a lot of lopsided scores, but kind of an innings eater for them. And then you roll into 20, and he spans 8.1 innings. He does not allow an earned run, strikes out 12, scatters eight hits, and does not walk anybody. I know there's context required, but this is just a statement of fact. That's all we do on this podcast. The last, last time Mr. Chofi walked a hitter, May 5th of 2019. Dang. Yeah, I know, right? It's almost three years since my man walked a guy. That is correct. There's actually no context needed. Don't look into That's that. That's got to be a Guinness World Record. Oh, did I just screw this up? Please. Damn it. Okay, sorry, I messed this up. He had two outs oh. before he got hurt in 2021. He walked four guys against Texas Tech and then zero against North Alabama. Yeah, I that Texas Tech game, game doesn't happen. That's a cool stat. I'm just saying. Yeah, I actually remember that uh, Texas Tech game. They had to go to Forsyth to finish it because he just lost it. Uh, I would venture to say that might have been, been when he got hurt. Um, I was actually at that game. That was a glow by field. Um, that might have. I might have had a couple of quarters. Do you remember how that game ended? I remember Jacob Gonzalez hitting a tank over the right field wall. So I don't know if you can pull up the box score, the play-by-play from there, but um, Trophy walked everyone in the ninth inning, and Texas Tech got it to, I think, within two. And they had to bring on Forsythe to get the last out after bringing in, I believe, Jackson Kimbrell. And I can't remember. It was somebody in front of, of Forsythe. And Forsyth comes in and throws a pitch, and the guy hits it approximately 345 feet. And Caden Sammons just lands <laughs> – ironic enough uh, – Caden Sammons just stands with his back on the wall and catches the ball. It was it, – my heart about came out of my chest that night. Okay, one impressive recall. That's actually pretty astounding. Uh, you, nailed, you nailed that, like, pretty much T for t- – uh, pretty much uh, – you know, detail for detail. Although you, I, I, I would, I bet I could give you 50 guesses and you could not guess the guy between Chofi and, uh, and Forsyth, like you just outlined. Who was your original guess? I said Kimbrell, but I know it wasn't because Kimbrell pitched the day before against TCU. Um, God, <laughs> is he a right-hander? Honestly, I have no idea. 
Again, I, it was Luke Baker. Yeah, sure. Uh, no, yeah, exactly I wouldn't have like that, that right. I, 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 I didn't remember. Might just get a wild hair and say, you know what? The game was on the line. Uh, the Baker kid seems good down there. That, that He has to be left-handed, right? That has to be some sort of – Yeah, surely. Yeah, that, that – that. If you told me uh, that Luke Baker never played for Ole Miss, I'd be like, yeah, sure. I think you are. I think I could be wrong on this. I think he came in and pitched against like Arkansas because he was left-handed and breathing on Sunday. And I think that's the kid that he. I, if I'm not mistaken, I think that's who he is. He did, and he he is a left-hander. He's six six. What I don't remember that. Um. Stolen Valor from West Burton there. I'm just looking up Luke Baker's. He's at Jacksonville University now, in case anyone out there is curious. That's right. Yeah. Um, I just remember him being the kid. He had that one bad outing. I think he had one more in between. But for a while, he was rocking a 99 ERA, which, as you pointed out on Sunday, is infinity. And uh, <laughs> you know, my man needed to get that one down. Um, so, anyway, that was one hell of a rabbit hole. But point being, that 2021 outing against Texas Tech aside, where Tophie's season never really got started, he was figuring it out in 20 and was really dominant before. And remember, that was as hot as an Ole Miss team that I can remember had been before that season um, was shut down by, obviously, the COVID-19 pandemic. And so I don't know what the expectation is for Max Tophie, but I do think he can help them in some way. And when you have – so much uncertainty or surrounding your entire pitching staff, having a veteran guy that's, you know, been there, done that before. I probably can't accurately say that Max Chofi's been through a lot of high leverage, you know, high stakes wars in the postseason, but you know, he's got enough game experience in games that matter. That has to help because another part of the starting rotation deal is the guys in the bullpen, we'll get to the rotation in a second, but the guys in the bullpen right now, if the starting rotation, let's just say it sticks as is where Mike announced it, I'll go ahead and spoil it, um, DeLucia, Diamond, and Washburn, the guys in the pen are a bunch of dudes that had never been there before. I mean, who are we talking about here, right? Uh, Hunter yeah. Elliott, um, Riley Maddox. Riley Maddox, yeah. Who am I getting out of? I mean, John Gaddis to some degree, he hadn't been at that level. Um, so I just think having a veteran older presence, at least just an option back there, is going to help them. And then, you know, we've seen stranger thing happens. Who the hell knows? I mean, Jack Doherty was about the time he started existing in most of our minds. Brandon Johnson, for the lack of a better uh, phrase, didn't really exist either outside of a couple outings early in the season. So stranger things have happened and for a team that needs a little bit of hope I think this is certainly something to kind of uh I won't say bank on but at least kind of wishful thinking in a way sure uh maybe it's the Jack Doherty thing where, where you find a guy that you know winds up helping you on your back end obviously you know Max Trophy well much more well known than, than Doherty was at the time um but yeah that's that's got to be the hope is that that uh when you know, you roll into Baton Rouge here in about three or four weeks that, that he's a guy that's that's able to get out to the big situations and get the ball to Brandon Johnson. Um, you know, that's he's a, he's a guy that's, that's like you said, he's not pitched maybe in some, some big-time postseason games or whatnot, but he is a guy that is uh, that has been in the program a long time and, and, and can help you and is probably not going to get phased by the moment. And, and devoid of all logic, how cool of a storyline it would be if this team rebounded sure. in the postseason and he was an integral part of that. Like, just from his maybe, – Maybe he's the guy that uh, that we've been looking for as far as, you know, finding somebody that, that that's a little bit of a jerk. 
Oh, I don't know that. Buddy, Chicago kid. Remember that? So we had that uh, for a while. One of my original internet bits was the his first year. Maxwell. Yeah, someone put him on the game day roster, like the paper roster they hand you again in the press box is Maxwell. And I was like, what is this? There's no way a kid from Chicago goes by Maxwell instead of Max. <laughs> and of course that wasn't the case. Everyone else called it Max Jovi. And I, I remember I asked him that one day. We were super bored one day out there in like May in 2019. And we were talking to Jovi or something. And I was like, so how many people call you Maxwell? And he just kind of stared at me for a second. And like, he smiled afterward, but for like a brief second, I was like, I think he wanted to shank me. So I think there is some work <laughs> in him. Okay. Well, well, we have fixed Ole Miss's problem. That's the analysis you don't really get from scouts or anyone else. Um, that's, that's why people listen to this podcast. So, but in all seriousness, it's, it's something to monitor. And it's a, it's such an interesting dynamic going into this weekend. And I'm, going through my notes here really quick just to make sure we don't miss anything oh right just so we get to it uh josh mallets gets a little bit of work he gets two outs he is now spanning he's gotta start pitching I, i'm with you i'm with you this is the i tweeted it today and not that i'm checking twitter mentions all the time but i did it during the middle of the day and then kind of checked back at like five when i was scrolling through some research for the pod and like surprised it didn't pick up much traction i just i mean he's pitched 11 innings now even he has scattered what is this Eight hits has not allowed a run, and 8.2 of those innings have either become against an SEC opponent or Southern Miss. And look, yes, as we outlined on Sunday, none of those innings have been consequential, but it's still SEC hitters, and it's still a ranked team in Southern Miss that might host hitters. And so we were, we've been on this for a couple of weeks, kind of just, you know, kind of pointing it out there, just saying, hey, you know, at what point does he get a chance? I'm not going to say I'm surprised he's not in the rotation, but do you think it crossed Mike's mind to let the kid start? Maybe not, because he hasn't done it. No, start, start, no. Probably Um, long, but he has to pitch meaningful innings, right? Yes. Look, I'll say it like this. After, after, uh, you know, our kind of trolling, um, you know, of Mike regarding him, I think if we're advocating for the kid to pitch significant innings, the kid should probably pitch significant innings. No, yes, exactly. And we had a guy kind of chirp at us on the message board a while back, and I explained I wasn't even being a smartass about it. It wasn't us chirping him. He struggled. He's not the – I mean, what, breaking news, he's the first freshman to ever struggle when he comes into SEC play, right? It wasn't a Josh Mallett's thing. Yeah, it wasn't. It was a Mike Bianco thing continuing to go to Josh Mallett's when the kid was clearly struggling. I mean, hell, he had times last year – where he had, you know, some some scuffles in the midweek. And that's natural. It's not an indictment on Josh Mallett's, but it, no. it, it was, hey, Mike, why are you going to this kid on Sunday in Starkville in a game that you pretty much, I won't say have to win, but it ended up costing them a national seed. It was a Bianco thing, and he just ended up being kind of the footnote of the punchline. And I think maybe some people that have listened to, I think most people that listened throughout understood that, but it may have been lost on some. It wasn't a Mallets thing because it, it goes back to the same thing I just said. Is he the first freshman to ever struggle in college baseball and then turn out to be good? Of course not. I mean, that's an absurd notion. So we're – when I brought this up to you in March, I think it was right before conference play, I can't remember – oh, the game they got blown out at Auburn to where Mallets was kind of electric in that middle game where it didn't really matter. I was kind of like, hey, like, can, can you give him a shot? The pitching's not great. And we, but at that time, I was like, okay, it's still early. Well, now it's not early anymore. And so 
I'll pose it to you in a question as we transition to this weekend. Does he pitch meaningful innings this weekend? Yes. Yeah. Um, I read Chase's piece, and I won't spoil a bunch of it, but it feels like that, that South Carolina struggles against, uh, I'll put it this way, a certain type of pitcher, and he feels like he fits that very mold. I, I know he, it was for subscribers, so I don't want to um, put anything out there that I'm not supposed to, but Milet certainly fits that role. I think that he will pitch a, a meaningful interview to this weekend, yeah. And – I'm not saying I think it, with anything with this pitching staff, I'm not telling you it's going to be great. All I'm telling you is that the, with the struggles they've had from a pitching standpoint, particularly starting pitching, that kid throwing 94 and that, that the night at Auburn's the one that stuck out was him throwing 94 and then he locates a slider and a changeup over the middle of the plate for what an inning. And I think it was ending in two thirds or maybe two full innings. I, I don't really care what the situation is. Like you at least have to try that. Right. I mean, so, it, Again, I don't, I don't want to, like, pile on West Burton, but it's not a West Burton situation to where you're like, okay, what's the velo here and what's actually – like, he's big. What is actually the – like, what's the uh, – I would say what's the allure here in terms of using him as, a, as an asset to your pitching staff. There's something there. So, at a certain point, I'm just like, why, why not use him? I was uh, – I'll be completely honest with you. I'm surprised he did not pitch after the Tennessee series. Guess who's the only one that come out of the Tennessee series? I know he didn't pitch very long with an unblemished um, line in terms of runs crossed. Josh Mallett. I was a little surprised he was not used the last two weekends. Um, you know, hindsight 2020, not second-guessing Mike playing the results. But I guess I did say that to say I was a little bit surprised this hasn't already happened. And if it doesn't happen this weekend with everything on the line, when will it, right? Yeah. Yeah, if, if, if it's not this weekend, and now look, maybe, you know, the unusual happening and you have, you know, Delusia throw a, you know, complete game and, and, and the other guys, um, Diamond's not throwing a complete game, but um, Jack Washburn, you know, gives you seven innings and you just don't have enough innings for him, sure. But I, I, I don't see that, you know, happening. And um, there's a lot of innings to eat. And Brandon Johnson and Jack Doherty and Riley Maddox and Hunter Elliott can only eat so many of them. Um, I, I would be shocked if he's not asked to eat some some sort of innings this weekend um, in significant fashion um, or, or in meaningful innings, I probably should say. We're going to say all this, and then it's going to – like the camera tomorrow night at 6 o'clock is going to like show him in shorts or hasn't traveled or something. Yeah, he's not on the roster. <laughs> yes, not an option. Um, but I do think that's a storyline to watch. The last note I had from this Murray State game, and honestly this might be three too many, was TJ McCants – didn't uh didn't start and didn't play and I believe I could have this wrong but I'm pretty sure Chase asked Mike if he was if it was injury related injury related I can't talk today and he said no yeah it seems bad I think he's a little bit in the doghouse about some of the fielding stuff but what do you make of that? I, look, the, the play with Gonzalez out there that ended up costing Hunter Elliott which we can get to in a minute was not great but I'm not right, involving him up, but he's not a center fielder. He's an infielder. And I, I, I don't know. Um, I'll just say this. I, I have a hard time holding a lot of stuff against the infielder that's playing outfield um, and went to the outfield because you asked him to go to the outfield and he said, sure, I'll do whatever we need to do to win. And because he has a tough week or two defensively, you, you throw him in the doghouse. I, I, Look, I mean, obviously, he's been out there long enough. He should he should be able to make those plays. 
Um, but he's also swung it well enough throughout your career that that I fit or throughout his career that that I feel like benching him for a few defensive blemishes in a position that um, is not his natural one is is maybe uh, not the best course action for the kid. But maybe I'm wrong. Mike uh, obviously knows more baseball than I ever will. But man, it's uh, I, I would have a hard time benching T.J. McCants um, and 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 thinking that that was what was best for my baseball team. Yeah, I'm with you in that sense, and I wonder if part of it plays into the fact that I agree with you that he's definitely hit well over the course of his, albeit short, career to earn the benefit of the doubt. But do you think part of it is the fact that I was just – I didn't actually know this in real time, and this is actually something I probably should have picked up on sooner. You know he has three hits against SEC uh, teams since they left Auburn, and he has four hits total. He had one against North Carolina. He struggled. He has struggled at the plate, but, you know, everyone has, right, except for Jacob Gonzalez and Tim Elko. And I would, I agree with you in that sense that like, that's not the guy you probably give up on. I was just mostly just, I guess, throwing that out there because I was actually a little surprised that was the case, but that probably has to factor into it some. One thing I've been meaning to ask you, I may have asked you on the pod before, was the way he plays center field, to me, to the naked eye, just maybe looks frustrating to fans on television because I've noticed a lot of balls that are kind of tweeners, like the one that so the Friday was bad because he called off Gonzalez and didn't end up getting to it. But like the bloop, like the bloops sometimes it, it he doesn't ever dive. And it looks like sometimes he's like, I don't want to say like half-assing or loafing it or anything like that, but not necessarily going like Jim Edmonds. There's a blast from the past, like all out to go get it. Do you think yeah. the fact that he's not an outfielder and they've kind of told him, Hey, don't dive and let something get behind you for three bases, because that's always what I assumed it was. Yeah, um, I mean, it could be, and 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 obviously it's going to look like to some, and I'm not I'm not accusing Mike of this because obviously Mike, you know, is is, is a great baseball mind and all, but I mean, when you when you slow up to not dive, you have to slow up, and then it looks like you're loafing and could have got to the baseball, but you have to slow yourself down, otherwise you're going to overrun it, and the cat's going to get second. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So I I don't know. I he's not an outfielder. Um, and, and Ole Miss is asking him to be. There's a lot of guys on that team. I mean, frankly, when they start bench Graham and uh, McCants in the outfield, they're starting three non-outfielders in the outfield. So, um, you know, it just kind of is what it is from an outfielder defensive perspective. Could he play third base? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's – I don't know. Um, they're struggling at the hot corner defensively, that's for sure. Well, I would say that would lead to fewer errors and fewer Instagram comments, which you're killing two birds with one stone there. That's probably the last I'll say. Quite frankly, if if he's going to go with the dirt and you can't do this because uh, Gonzalez is not giving you a reason to do so, but if he's going to go onto the dirt, I think the best optimal situation is he actually plays shortstop and Gonzo plays third, but it's hard to pull the kid off shortstop that's been good. Yeah, the only other thing I was going to say, and I brought it up when Chatagnier was really struggling with second base, but it's kind of the point. You can't just yank Chat. I don't think. I mean, no. that's the that's the interesting dynamic about this lineup, right? I mean, we fleshed it out and kind of th- went through some numbers on Sunday's pod. Everyone but Gonzalez, Elko, and, and uh, Alderman are struggling. So, like, when you look at these six guys in a bunch, it's like, well, why would you bench him if you're not benching him, right? It's like all six of them. It's like, well, what has he done that the other guy hasn't done to justify it? You know, Look, you, you got to – pull of about eight dudes and you need about four or five of them to figure it out um you know you can 
you can get around with, you know, one guy or two guys scuffling throughout the year and, and you know, maybe finding it in June. But, um, look, from a, from a Hayden Dunhurst to a Hayden Leatherwood to T.J. McCants to Peyton Chatney, you know, obviously Kevin Graham's going to hit. You know, you need three or four of those cats to uh, to figure it out. Reagan Burford um, and Calvin Harris. Obviously, Harris has had a good year so far. They need him to, you know, to, to pick it up in SEC play. But um, you need some of those guys to step it up. There's only so much benching you can do, right? Um, somebody's just going to have to go make plays and, 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 and from an offensive perspective. And if they don't, it's not going to turn out well for the Rebels. And if they do, I think there's still time to write the ship. But, you know, I, I, I will say this before we get into South Carolina. It has to be this weekend. It's, if it doesn't happen this weekend, I think, we're, I think they're done. That's a perfect segue. Let's just talk big picture South Carolina because now as we sit three days removed from us discussing this on Sunday, I wrote um, a pretty lengthy newsletter on Monday that went out Monday night. Most of you maybe got it Tuesday morning just from a work perspective of really just outlining everything we talked about from a big picture side of it on the podcast on Sunday about how, look, the realization is this team as currently constructed might just not be very good. And I think there's probably a lower ceiling on it because of the pitching unless they figure out something drastic. But the more and more I look into it, I think that there's a chance that they go on a little bit of a run and at least make the tournament. And I know that sounds like, well, man, that's a low bar. Not really with what they're up against. We out, like we talked about it on Sunday. They got to go 10 and eight. And with the way they're playing baseball, like 10 and eight is not a low bar in my mind with the way, with where they sit. And I say all of that to make the point of, I feel a little bit more optimistic about their chances to right the ship and from that standpoint. To maybe finish around 500, when I say around 500, they probably need to finish 500 in the conference to feel really good about it. 14 and 16 gets it. I feel I sit here today feeling slightly more optimistic about it. Maybe part of it has to do with the fact that Mike actually named three starters this weekend, for better or for worse. But the more and more I went through it, I don't understand why this lineup is – well, I'd say that. I kind of understand – but it doesn't make sense to me that this lineup is going to continue to be a bottom four statistical offense in the SEC, given what they did last year. And I don't think I did the side-by-side on Sunday's podcast, but in make sure I have this right. I'm just going to pull up the newsletter real quick. But they're pretty much bottom four in every category in SEC play this year. So I like so if you're a big believer in batting average in SEC games only, Elko's hitting 400. Uh, Alderman's right at 300 even. Gonzalez is at 239, but he has a good OPS. Everyone, there's not a hitter in the uh, on the roster above 239. That's pretty horrendous. And I think outside of Elko's OPS, everyone else is under like 580 or like 620, something like that. That's not great. Yeah. Like, do you think that? Can so, t- no, I don't. But we, we we've said so. It's it's kind of twofold, right? Do I think it continues? No, I think they're going to have uh, more success over the next two weekends um, before they go to Fayetteville. But they have put themselves in the situations that are in the situation that even if more success comes, and, and I do think it will, I do think that, that thinking this offense is going to continue to be a bottom feeder. I, I don't, I guess, I don't guess I'm subscribed to that notion. Um, but I'll say this, they, they put themselves in such a bind that if, even if they rebound to what, frankly, I think they should be, it may already be too late um, to get done what they need to get done. Um, they have put themselves in such a hole that, like, 
you know the kid that didn't go to class until like after midterms? Yes. You know, there's only so much you can do to fix it. He can only pass the class. He's not getting a B to get the like the the what's the base level? Well, he can get a B, but he's gonna need to make hundreds. Okay, but like put so from putting that in baseball terms, I'm not even talking about getting back to playing baseball at Swayze. I'm just talking about getting in the tournament. Yeah. I think that's not the way to look at this at this point, right? Because, look, I know when – is this kind of – we bring this full circle with, like, the big picture part of it. I know if they just make the tournament and they're a two or three seed, we're asking, like, in terms of what they need to do for Mike Bianco to keep his job and everyone to be satisfied from an expectation standpoint. We're asking them to do something they haven't done the Bianco era. But I think if they get to, like, 14 and 16 or 15 and 15 and they look really like like the offense is hitting well – they, they are going to be kind of a SOB in a regional. Oh, I don't want to see them in a regional if this offense is playing well. Right, big yeah. if. But to your point, like when you talk about there's only so much they can do, to me, in my mind, I mean, barring something, absolutely. It's story, gone. I feel sorry to talk about the, the playing home baseball in the postseason is done. They need, to, like, they need to do everything they can to get in and just be, I think I used to describe it as like a devilish two seed. That, to me, is a kind of the only – the only mountain they should have. And and so here's the thing too, right? Um, There are worse things in the world than going to Hattiesburg and being there too. Yes. Um, But you know what you don't want to be? Why? Well, so there's, I was just going to say, there's a difference between going to Hattiesburg and say like UCLA. And that's a random example. You said not this year, West coast two, three seed versus. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, there's a lot worse things in the world than showing up at Pete Taylor Park. Now, look, if, if Ole Miss is the one seed, I'm sure as crap don't want Southern as the two seed again. Um, but, no, there, there are a lot worse things in the world from, a, from an Ole Miss perspective than playing yourselves into, you know, being the two, three, two or three seed at Pete Taylor Park. Um, and, you know, it does look like Southern's putting themselves in real position to host this year. So, um, you know, if you can find yourself in, a way into the tournament – can that look if this offense returns to form? Can it swing it well enough to bash its way through a regional, even with the pitching woes? Maybe, um, but I don't know. I I, I struggle. So I, I think it's two different answers for me. I struggle to think this offense is going to continue to for, perform this poorly. I also struggle to think that this offense at any point is going to resemble um, the offense that we expected it to be. Uh, at the beginning of the year. Why do you think that is? Because I finally just located these numbers. Last year in SEC play, this is probably just going to be maddening. Yeah, maddening. it's going to piss me off. Last year in SEC play, SEC games alone, Ole Miss led the league in on-base percentage, hits, and batting average. They were fourth in the conference in walks, and they were 12th in strikeouts, meaning they struck out the third fewest times. This year, second to last in on-base percentage, second to last in batting average, they are fourth in home runs, but they're seventh in slugging. I believe they're 13th in strikeouts as well as 12th or 13th in walks drawn. And to put that in an actual concrete number that I know is correct, they've struck out 139 times in SEC play and drawn 41 walks. It's, it's, the a, same it's ridiculous. Walk. Yeah. What it's does ridiculous. that mean, though, particularly that last number? They're pressing, they're pressing big, big time. And at this point, wouldn't it be foolish to – not at least acknowledge, and it's not absolving them of this, but that the pitching is playing a role in that. There's just no way an offense that didn't used to swing at bad pitches as recently really, of the March is swinging at a ton of them. 
it's really easy to go hit when Gunnar Hoagland and Doug Nikhazy run in that dugout. It's really easy to say, oh, you know, didn't get them the first time around. We're going to get them the second time around because, by God, those dudes on the mound aren't going to give up runs. Um, it's a lot easier to hit when there's, you know, when you – well, I'll put it like this. It's a lot easier to hit when you don't have to. Yeah, and, I mean, on top of that, like, I was about to use the Delusia at Kentucky example. They had a bad night there and had a bad night when they – or a bad afternoon when they lost the second game. But don't you think it made it a little bit easier – on Sunday, after they'd had two bad days in a row, where Washburn puts up what that was like five innings of one run ball, yeah. and they could kind of sit there in the dugout in the fourth and be like, okay, we swung it like you know, crap for what is that 22 innings now? Take a breath, and then they kind of blew the game open. And what they won that one like 11 2 or whatever it was, like, yeah. But then like 48 that. hours later, you go to you know, Pearl and don't swing it well against Southern Midway guys, nothing, yeah. It's it's but. I don't know. Beyond the pressing, what what do you think it is? Because it, it really it really kind of def- I don't want to say it defies logic, but it is very mystifying. Like what what do you um, what do you attribute it to it otherwise? Say it like this. I, I think sometimes um guys get so and it's weird because maybe it's some scouting. I I've I've wondered about that. Um Maybe maybe some scouting reports are out and guys are struggling to adjust. But the thing with that is, like, all these guys played last year. Why did it not get out last year? Um, so I, I can't say exactly. Um, I You know, Mike Clement would never tell you, but I would be very, very curious as to and, – and Mike Clement doesn't do a whole lot of coach speak. He would probably actually tell you what he thought if, if someone asked. But I would be curious his thoughts as to why, why they struggled. Um, it's – I th- look, I'll say this, and people will disagree with me. I think Mike Clement's one of the best hitting coaches around. Um, and like you said, it's it's with, when you consider that and what they brought back, it's it's mystifying as to why they've struggled so much offensively. Yeah, and I think you're dead on with that too. And look, this sounds stupid to say with as bad as the pitching has been, but there's a big difference, as we've talked about a couple times, between six and six and four and eight. Yeah. The offense had lived up to his advertised. With as bad as the pitching is, they should still probably be six and six, right? I mean, look, they. Well, yes, they don't. You, this offense should not be held to three runs on Sunday against Alabama. It exactly. shouldn't be. And four runs on Friday, if we're being completely honest. I mean, yeah, that was pretty yeah against the average, game. yeah. And then I know the game got away from them late, but what that Kentucky game on Saturday against that Kentucky pitching staff was what like two one in the sixth or like two one in the fifth yeah. or something like that should have been seven two. So I'm not. I don't look the pitching's been bad and this team is kind of in a bad way in a lot of different senses. But I, I guess what I'm saying is if this offense was the, supposed to be the one that carries them and is one of the top, you know, two, three in the country, they would still be six and six as bad as the pitching has been. And everything is still in front of them. They might be a little bit behind the eight ball as it pertains to top eight national seed and maybe hosting and all of that. But it's still not a bad position to be in. Hell, if they won oh. the game on Sunday or just took one, I, that's why I thought Sunday. It's not was a so bad massive. spot. Five and seven is not a terrible spot. We're probably talking about if they, honestly, and that's the crazy thing about college baseball. It's a long season, but it's not. If they win that game on Saturday or Sunday, whatever, whichever one, if they get one this yep. weekend and they're five and seven, we're talking about well. Okay, this team's probably not a host, but how do they figure out a way to back in their way to a host? To where four and eight. With the schedule they have left, it's like, how is this team getting in the tournament? Well, I mean, it's it's really this simple. 
Yeah, it's funny the line. Um, but like, let's pretend this team is five and seven, right? And we look at the series and go this weekend with South Carolina. It's like, well, if they win two there, and if they come home and play state and they win two there, they're nine and nine. Well, I can convince myself that they're going to go seven and, you know, five down the last 12 and 16 and 14 is hosted plenty of times. Um, that's why I thought Sunday was so big. Um, and that's why I thought it was kind of disheartening that, that Ole Miss played the way it did and swung it the way they did. Um, I don't know. It's it's a fine line in college baseball, man, because you're talking about teams that 16 and 14 that hosted um, 2019 Ole Miss um, hosted at 16 and 14 in the league. Um, and then what? Two years earlier, 14 and 16 Ole Miss doesn't make the tournament. So it's it's a fine, funky line that you talk about from a hosting and, and, and making the tournament perspective. Yep, it really is. And that's a precarious position they sit in. And so we've prob- probably prolonged this too long, but let's get into South Carolina, big picture thoughts. They either are going to leave this weekend with a chance they leave this weekend with – say they sweep. I, I don't – I'm not predicting that. Don't get me wrong. But South Carolina is no. absolutely horrendous offensively, and they're missing two uh, or three, actually, of their most important pitchers. But just say they sweep. Then all of a sudden you're at seven and eight, and you're like, okay, now they're really back in the thick of this thing. But if they lose yeah. two or three – It's over. We don't even need to talk about them getting swept. If they get swept, obviously, 4-11, and 11, this is completely over. There's no reason to even discuss this anymore. But honestly, if you lose this – I mean, I hate to put it this way. If you lose the series this weekend, it's over. This is their season this weekend. And I don't think that's – I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think that's melodramatic. How in the world no. – If they lose two or three this weekend, how are they coming back from five and ten? Oh, well, okay, I can present you a path, but here's the reality. Um, a team that can come back from five and ten um, doesn't lose this series to South Carolina, if that makes sense. Um, you do not lose this series. I, and I've, I've said this before. You do not lose this series if, you are a, if, if you're going to make a run. The, a team that is going to make a run and, and get themselves into either formidable two-seed two seed shape or even maybe get back into the conversation as a back, backside host, which I don't think they're good enough to do. Um, a team that is going to do that does not, under any circumstance, lose this series this week. It just doesn't happen. Um, so you want, you want to talk about toughness and, and, and all that stuff, and, and some of that may be overrated at times, but it's not here. It's you got to go get it this weekend, and if you don't, I mean, I don't know what we're talking about for two months because it's it's done at that point. Um, I look. Can I present you a scenario where they go what nine and so they'd be five and ten? Can I present you the scenario where they go nine and six to finish? I guess, but I, I don't. I wouldn't really buy it in my head. Um, so I, I don't know. It's you know, like you said. It's their season, um, and and you got some seniors and juniors on this team that um, I think will convey that. And hopefully, for Ole Miss's sake, they they play like it. Oh yeah, no. Like if they lose this series, we're gonna have to restructure this, you know, seven figure contract you and I have for this podcast because the next two months are just a hot board for being yeah. real. It's like what what are we talking about here? This is this is a big weekend on the content front. This is a big weekend for Mike Bianco. This is a big weekend for everyone involved. And you know, it probably still would have been the same way if five and seven. 
But I don't. They're not sunk. You know, again, I keep going back to if they just win one game against Alabama, they're not completely sunk. Um, if oh. they lose two out of three at South Carolina, you know, with a struggling, fledgling Mississippi State team coming home the next weekend, but the fact that you've gotten swept twice at home, this is absolutely this is make or break. They have to win two. Um, you know, yeah. you mentioned you could outline a path at five and ten. I, I don't want to like at that point. Like, yes, okay, is that mathematically realistic? But this is a team that's gotten swept at home by Alabama, barely survived a series at Kentucky, and then lost to it, a kind of a banged up South Carolina team. Like, I don't want to hear about them going nine and six with you know road trips to LSU and Arkansas. Like, for, to me, for all intents and purposes, if they don't get two, this sucker's done. Yeah, no, I'm. Look, if if they don't get two, we can we can sit here and talk about you know hot boards and the uh, you know state of college baseball, and then if we look up in May the fourteenth and Ole Miss has somehow put themselves back into maybe getting into a regional, we'll pick it back up. But I, I yeah, um, like I said, I don't think a team that is willing to make a run loses two this weekend. Just don't think it happens. There there comes a point in a season where your back is up against the wall, and frankly, I've thought this of Ole Miss, the, you know. Uh, two weekends already when, when Tennessee had won the first two and then, you know, when Alabama had won the first two and neither time Ole Miss responded particularly well. Um, but I don't think there's any question about it now. Um, your back is up against the wall. I, I said on Sunday there has been situations where Ole Miss baseball has, has found its back against the wall before. And, and for the most part, credit to them, they've responded. Um, so far this year when that's happened, they have it. We'll see what it looks like this weekend. Um, I, it's, it, look, it's not going to be easy. Um, I don't think I'll say this. I think Ole Miss is the better baseball team, but it's not going to be easy to go on the road and win to it's, it never is, uh, in this league. So, um, Ole Miss will have its work cut out for us for it. And if you, if you don't play well, um, you'll come back five and 10, four and 11. And you talk about it being kind of a war. South Carolina, this is their last stand, too, I'd say, to a degree, right? They're coming off a weekend where they got take two or three taken from them at home against Georgia. And then they went to Columbia, Missouri the weekend before and got two taken from them from the worst team in the conference. So, you know, presumably the worst team in the conference. I actually think Missouri will actually end up passing Kentucky, but I could be wrong in that. Neither here nor there. This is kind of their last shot. Like if they're they're toast. Like if they lose two or three this weekend, everyone's going to look around that co- like follows and covers SEC baseball and just says, okay, they're just bad. Like let's put the stick a fork in them. This team is bun. And so from that sense, it's going to kind of be a little bit of a war. And well, uh, it's going to be fascinating. Uh, let's let's just hit the rotation part of it. Mike Bianco named three starters. Are you surprised by that? No, I think Mike just it, it, it bothered him so much not having starters. He was just like, I got to do it. Got to do it now. Okay, but uh, I don't think that's a bad move. And and we hit on this a lot right. on Monday. I, uh, I I think he – I was trying to come up with a cool analogy when I was writing the newsletter about, like, cars or something like that, and I just couldn't come one. Like, I was, I was trying to, like, get – like, say something, like, clever or witty about, like, hey, if your car needed a new engine, would you stick four tires on it just because – like it, to me, he he was looking at a problem, tried to solve a problem, and went like kind of screwed up other parts of the machine. If that makes sense, remember after uh, uh, yeah after Tennessee, where he was like, "Hey, we don't have a bullpen problem. Our bullpen's been quite good outside of one game against uh, Auburn there in the middle." And then he does the whole thing where he's new mindset, whatever, and then it works against Kentucky, but then he doesn't go to the same thing. And I don't want to do the it ain't broke, don't fix it thing, but I just feel like he turned it into an all-encompassing pitching staff issue when it was really just the fact that their starters weren't getting linked. And I wonder if he's kind of realized that. Yeah. 
Um, it's a good point. And, and hopefully you're, you know, for Ole Miss's sake, um, they've got, you know, the two guys that have given them Lincoln SEC games before um, in Delusia and Washburn. You know, Delusia obviously has two in, uh, two outings of six or more innings. Um, and then, you know, Washburn goes to five innings against Kentucky. Um, you know, so I we'll see. Uh, I think if, you know, Washburn and, and, and Delusia pitch well, then I think Ole Miss are, is going to win the series. I do – I will say this. Um, I think Ole Miss swings it the best they have in SEC play this weekend. Um, outside of maybe Auburn, where they obviously swung it pretty well. Um, I, I think the, the three-week slump um, maybe takes a backseat this week. I think Ole Miss is going to swing it pretty well this weekend. I hope for their sake you are correct. He goes back to Delucia. So the, I, I buried the lead there. But goes back to, he goes Delucia, Diamond, Washburn. Any qualms with that at all? Uh, I have to see how it's approached. Um, no, initially, no. Um, but somebody better be ready to get Diamond out quickly. Um, okay, so- I, I will say this. If Mike Bianco is not ready to pull Derek Diamond the second, the second time for the order comes about, um, then I, I have serious questions about what he's doing. Um, because it is evident to anyone that has anything to do with this baseball team or follows this baseball team that he cannot get through the order the second time. Quit being unfair to the kid and asking him to do that. Oh, yeah, and I, I'm with you. I mean, to add to that, I would say, you know, you said, what is he doing? I would actually add doing as being the operative word. I would wonder what he's on. Like, is he doing drugs? Um, because, in all seriousness, though, the most crystallized example you've got of that was this weekend, right? Diamond literally retired nine in a row. And then what happened? Boom. The 10th guy came up and hit a leadoff home run. And then he gave up a leadoff home run in the next inning. And he wasn't terrible by any stretch, but, like, if that seriously, he looked like what Dave Neal was calling the game on Sunday. It was like the actual SEC network. Yeah. Right? And he, when Diamond struck out the fourth in a row to end his third inning of work, <laughs> Dave Neal goes, Derek Diamond, what just dealing. And then a kid hit one 390 feet, <laughs> like three pitches into the lineup turning over. And so I'm with you. Like, if, if he, if that doesn't happen this weekend, it's like, what are we doing? So, I know Mike doesn't like using the term opener, but assuming he's sane and sober, that has to be the case, right? Like the, Because the other gripe with that, uh, when Chase put out the lineup today and I read the message board and I got a couple of DMs about it, was it was people were griping about, well, what did Hunter Elliott do? I was like, well, I don't think he'd do anything. He's They're just trying anything. So, like, doesn't that feel like it has to be an opener? particularly with the options you think you're going to have. Even if Hunter Elliott has to go on Friday, you have a somewhat healthy Max Trophy, you know, Doherty, whomever else, there's no excuse to leave Diamond in a second time through. No, no. Um, and it better not happen. I mean, it's, it's evident at this point what the, what the kid struggles with. Um, I will say this, did, and I'm curious here because I think if this kid's right, he can help Ole Miss. Did you get to watch much of the game Tuesday? No, but I know what you're getting at. Drew McDaniel had like a no-hitter Ole Miss. He's really good. So, where I'm at on that, I'm glad you pointed that out because I should probably should have gotten that with the Murray State part of it. Where I'm with that is, can you do it on a weekend? Because I'm, have yeah. we ever said it's a physical thing with him? No, it's never a physical thing with him. 
so that's kind of where I'm at with him is just, hey, can I see that against someone with a pulse? You know what I mean? Like, I'm not discounting it. Maybe he tries him again. But what happens when he runs him out there and he, you know, gives up a couple doubles, walks two, and then all of a sudden it's a four-run inning before Mike can even get anyone up? You know what I mean? Like, No, yeah, you're right. Like, um, I, I'd just like to see it against someone that matters. And it's, it's one of the most mystifying cases of anything on this team that's not talked about a lot. It's – but how do you throw him in a situation that matters right now? And you can't. I, so I, I don't expect you'll see how I many hell he threw five innings on Tuesday and their last game this week's on Saturday. So I don't expect he will pitch at all this weekend. And I'm not advocating for him. I'm just saying he had a good outing. And um, when you talk about a team that's, you know, devoid of any type of link from starting pitching, um, I don't know. It's, yeah, if Diamond goes through the order a second time outside of Ole Miss just being up a, you know, an inordinate amount of runs, or maybe down an inordinate amount of runs. Um, I don't, I don't really know how you can advocate letting him go through a second time at this point. It, it would be, uh, frankly, it'd be negligence. I can give you one McDaniel case. Like, say they get up. Um, oh, say it's like the Saturday game, and they really get after the kid that South Carolina's throwing, and they get up like, I don't know, like seven two or something, and. Okay if it's Diamond and he's one time through the order and they've gotten him a really early lead, could you maybe well, – Diamond's on Friday. Oh, yeah, sorry, sorry. I meant the – sorry, game two. So, yeah, Friday. Well, all right. Now, here's my issue with that. He threw five innings on Tuesday. He's not going to be ready for that. Oh, I didn't think about that aspect of it either. Okay, never mind. That squashes my theory. I guess it would have to be the Sunday game. Like, right. okay, so Saturday, do you think he's recovered by then? Uh, yeah, three days. I think he'd do something. So Ole Miss is up 7-2 and, like, Washburn's cruising or something like that through, like, four, and then things maybe get a little hairy. Can you throw, like, McDaniel in for, like, the fifth or sixth on, like, a 7-2 lead but, like, a short lease? Like, if that if he, if it's 7-3 and there's a guy on, it's like, okay, like, I guess sure. give him a chance to shove is what I'm getting at. Like, sure. that's the only case I could really make. I could – you know, you could have done that in the first two games where you astutely pointed out, well, he threw five innings and a bunch of pitches. He's probably not ready for that. Like, that's the only case I could make for a guy like Drew McDaniel to pitch this weekend. I'm more interested in the Max trophy Mallets part of it. Like, they – Yeah. Don't one of them have to pitch if Ole Miss is coming out of here with two? I guess uh, – I'm wondering, now that you said this out loud, I'm wondering if Josh Mallets is the guy that comes in maybe after a Derek Diamond opener start. I think it depends on how Friday goes, but I wouldn't rule it out. Honestly, I would kind of applaud Mike and like, okay, finally, like, this kid – He's the only kid that has not given up a run in SEC play, and it's eight. Go like at some point that should matter. Yeah, I mean, if you want to get it, I always love to like point out that Dylan Delucia is the only guy that's gone six innings twice for Ole Miss. Well, guess what, Josh Mallett's. It took him a month and a half, but he's gone eight and two thirds without giving up a run. <laughs> it's like, is that like when a, a basketball team goes on like a twelve or like an eight zero run over seven minutes? Yeah, exactly. It's a, yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's like, see, this team, this team's on fire. It's like actually the other team. So I'm fascinated from that aspect of it too. And then the other part of it is, is Hunter Elliott didn't do anything in your mind, right? Like, why do you think it's Diamond instead of Elliott? That's probably the best way to ask it. Um, I think South Carolina hits majority right-handers, and and they're trying to maybe uh, just load up on right-handers. I think you're right, too. Chase had that in his notes today, and I didn't want to give it away, but he actually put this one out on Twitter. South Carolina SEC played 184 against right-handed bats, and 
I think they're like in the three hundreds against left-handers. Granted, as Chase pointed out, like over twice the amount of bats is not that uncommon in twelve SEC games. But I think that's exactly what Mike's doing. Doing the matchup part of it is, and so does Ole Miss need to face a bunch of right-handed bats? Because if Mike's really going all in on this right-handed thing, when they go against a team that can't hit left-handers, so far it doesn't work that great. So is Ole Miss's path to the NCAA tournament to face a bunch of right-handed pitchers? I kid. That's good. There were years, I will say this, there were years when uh, I I would look ahead and see uh, what lefties Ole Miss was going to face because Ole Miss was so incompetent against left-handed yeah, pitching at times. Um, that's no longer the case. They're just incompetent against everyone right now. But it, yeah, it would well. I mean, simply put, uh, they have a bunch of righties, so uh, it would certainly help if they didn't see a whole bunch of uh, good left-handed hitters from there, here on out. My point is, wouldn't you have done this against Alabama? Would you have felt better about Ole Miss's chances if he'd have gone to Lucia Diamond Washburn against Alabama, even just to get a game? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because you, yeah, I mean, may just be a thing too with Dylan Lucia as a guy that's you know probably started his entire career. Maybe he's just more comfortable in that role. Glad you brought that up because he's coming. His last start, he went six in the third, one run ball, really kind of saved Ole Miss's ass in a lot of senses. What happens if he's a real Friday night guy? And this oh my God. puts it together to some degree. And I, I mean, to some degree, plays 500 ball the rest of the way. And they're heading into the last weekend of the SEC season at like, so what, 14 and 16 will get him in? 12 and 15. Yeah. And they need two and him. Don't you look back at that Alabama weekend? If Deluce is your Friday guy from this point on and just say, hey, man, what the hell? Like, why did you do that? I know hindsight twenty twenty, but that will be that will be just a hilarious snapshot of this season. He gives you six and a third on the road at Kentucky, saves a terrible offensive performance, and then it's like I know we wouldn't need to win two games this weekend, but you know remember that time he didn't get the ball after he did six and he went six and two thirds on the road. Like what? Why? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I, I guess you know that would suck, but it, on one hand, at least you'd have a Friday night guy at that point. It's a good point. Um, it's better late than never, I guess. Yeah, I guess at some point you would have a Friday night guy. Hey, just real quickly, um, I know we. it's hard for us to talk about past this season because of the obvious, but, like, what are they going to do on Fridays next year? Well, some scholarship money is freeing up, right? <laughs> it has to. I mean, Derek – uh, well, where's he going? Um, I don't know. Selaw? You just don't think he'll be back at Ole Miss? Well, I mean, what would you do? You can't go into another year. I, I'm not making excuses for Mike Bianco. We talked about this before on the pod. But you, you can't go into another year with the same type of scholarship divvy up in allotment and look it's going to free up with some other guys who are absolutely more dead weight so so i guess what i'm asking is you think they're going to get guys out of the transfer portal yeah i think they would have done it this year if they'd have had the money is what i'm getting at okay okay you think chase delander would help the rebel he did and i actually asked i was doing a podcast with uh, another chase chase parham and i was asking him actually after you astutely pointed that out i was like colin said on sunday after the tennessee get series like couldn't have chased Dollander or helped Ole miss and chase pointed out was well, they didn't have any money. And think about the two kids they got in the portal. Jack Washford, father's a major leaguer. He's probably not sweating tuition. And the other kid deferred med school. Fair enough. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I think they probably like, – Yeah, fair enough. 
So, like, I think if, if some money frees up, it will be okay. But to your point, I, I don't think – I, I wouldn't call it a great situation, but I think they will have a little bit more to – a little bit more flexibility to make that work is my point. Jackson um, Bears shows up, he would probably help too. Yeah, that would be that would be pretty sweet. Who's that kid I keep seeing highlights of, of hitting bombs in the Rocky Stadium? The kid from uh, Southern Florida? I think he's from Parkland. Uh, Roman Anthony. Yeah. They say it's kind of like J.B. Woodman except better. Is he coming? God, I hope so. I think there's a very real chance. I don't – I wouldn't say, you know, 100% or even 70%, but I think there's a, a, a real chance he shows, yeah. Does he know we do solo cup races? Like, they do solo cup races? They might that might, that might put him over the They'll do them on Sunday now. I don't know if you know that. Thank God. Wait, wait, wait. Is that why Ole Miss stinks now? Ooh, I like that. What is their record on? Oh, they're. Well, what do you mean? What is their record? Uh, they're zero to it. I'm sorry. Well, <laughs> they're zero and whatever in SEC play on home games. Well, didn't Oral Roberts get them on Sunday? It's a good point. See, it's a good point. Can we ban so the, the solo cup races? Or what's wrong with Ole Miss? Yeah, everything we just talked about for the last hour and ten minutes is just hogwash. Get those cups off the field. <laughs> Couple of <laughs> Hold on. Do you think Mike enjoys the solo cut races? Because they run right beside him now that he's in the first base dugout. Oh, it's amazing. My last year there, it was absolutely amazing. Because, you know, he sits there with his hands, like, next to his armpits with just a stoic look on his face, those sunglasses, while a bunch of couple drunk college kids in solo cups are just stumbling over each other. What do you think he thinks of that? I'm serious. Like, I would love to be a fly on the wall in his brain. And just, like, when he rolls by. Do you think he even notices it? Oh, oh, he notices it. Like, he loves the tradition, I think, deep down, of, like, some of the stuff they do, love is gone, all that stuff. And that's part of what he's built. But I imagine there's some days when they're down 6-1 in the fifth inning <laughs> and three kids come out. He's supposed to push Or he's like, can, can we get – can someone take a bat to one of those kids' heads? Can we get them out of here? I don't think he loves all the time. <laughs> But I would love to just hear him one day very mad, like maybe like ripping a couple of guys in there and a couple of dudes just you know, yellow cup whizzes by as he's ripping a couple of hitters. Well, yellow cup just wins for the first time as, you know, Ole Miss is down 8-1 to one to Mississippi State. Maybe. That would have been sick. They're down 9-1 in the second to Tennessee, and they decide that's tonight yellow cup's going to win. So Mike has him in the dugout, and he's pissed off, and then the crowd is just going absolutely bonkers because yellow cup has won. You couldn't write a better script. Sign me up for Ole Miss marketing. I could, I could, I could get more butts in the seats. Wait, 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 wait. We need. Here's what we need. Game three of a super regional. Let Yellow Cup win. Oh yeah, when they're getting two to one against like Ohio Valley school. <laughs> that would have loosened the crowd up. A guy follow. Hey, <laughs> did you see what that Ohio Valley school did yesterday? Yes, they did. When they had wooden bats, Tennessee Tech beat uh, Tennessee. <laughs> so, uh, you know, Tennessee's kind of new to this whole college baseball thing and being good. I don't mean that in, like, a condescending way at all. Like, they're all yeah, football and basketball, right? They're new to this college baseball thing being good. <laughs> a, guy, a guy I know fairly well, Charlie Burris, who comes on this podcast during football season, he said something to the effect of, like, I think a bullpen arm from uh, Tennessee Tech came in. And oh, no. And he goes, you know, one thing I didn't have was so-and-so stifling this uh, Tennessee offense. And I was like, well, let me tell you about a right fielder I knew in 2018 power left fielder. Whoever the hell was. 
Oh, uh, I didn't tweet it. I, I see that score that. coming home from the base from our baseball game. I'm like, it, they're trolling me. That's all this is. This this is just directed at me. We're off in the week. <laughs> it's it's late on a Wednesday night. Why don't we just go there? So I was listening to Chase and Neil on the way home today. Neil was was acting. Neil's a pretty connected guy. He was talking about he's t- was kind of insinuating that he's talked to some people that he does quite often. Um, and I don't mean that in like a passive aggressive way. Like I just mean like he. You know, sometimes when people give an educated opinion and they're actually connected, you kind of pick up on that. Mm-hmm. He, uh, Chase and Neil, I, I never, we never brought this up really on the pod. The whole Tennessee bat thing against Vanderbilt. Neil thinks something's going on. Well, so apparently Chris Lee, who's been on this podcast a couple of times, wrote a really good article about what actually happened there. Hand up as we record this. I haven't read it. I have no idea. I'm not going to traffic in ignorance and try to tell you something that's not. They seem to think something's up there. What What are your thoughts? Have you read into this at all? I have no idea. No. But no, I, I don't know anything other. I don't know anything other than Vatella looked like a fool trying to get that back. I, I, and you cannot convince me after I see that video that nothing is up. That's part. Um, of and you game. also here's part also what you also face, can't convince way, me that you of. Said. Here's what you can't convince me of either. They did not swing it as well this weekend against Missouri. Missouri. Um, so I, I don't – yeah, I think something was up. Interesting. I will say – They scored four runs on Sunday against Missouri, if I'm not mistaken. And weren't those two Vanderbilt games lower scoring? The last two? Uh, weren't they like 5-2? Mm, yeah. But yeah, they were. Yeah. Hmm. I love a good conspiracy theory as much as the next guy, but it it, it is. Wait, of- wait, wait. How do how do I get Tennessee to forfeit all three games in Oxford? I need I need to go back to call see if we get that done. Ooh, that would you know all of a sudden spoiler alert. Ole Miss is seven and five. <laughs> just wake up one morning. I'll just uh, I'll just take the podcast. I'll pay you for it, and then I'll just click delete. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need to talk about any of this. They're fine. Um, that is fascinating, though. I'm going to read that Chris Lee piece. Maybe we can do something more on that on Sunday when I read into it. But it is it is fascinating. Um, before we get out of here, a couple of South Carolina numbers. We talk about the pitching struggles and everything Ole Miss has had and him naming the right-handed heavy rotation. In SEC play, I believe these are SEC numbers only. South Carolina, last in batting average, last in slugging, last in on-base percentage, last in runs scored, Last in hits, last in runs batting in, last in doubles, 12th in triples. Congrats to having some speed. Last in home runs, last in total bases. Do I need to keep going? They're a putrid offense. And they battled some injuries this year, but that's pretty much all on the pitching staff. And so while they kind of had – how this team took two, three from Texas, I have no idea. I think they got a couple all-worldly pitching outings. But – if this te- if this pitching staff can't get this offense out, don't you just throw your hands up and wave the white flag on the ear? Yep, you're done. I mean, that falls in line with everything we just said, right? Where we said if they lose, it's really the next two weekends too. Yes, but yeah, yeah. It's if you can't pitch it, and maybe now look, and and I want to be clear that the the reverse applies too. Now, if you go pitch well, uh, well, all of a sudden maybe you're rolling into Fayetteville, Arkansas with some confidence. Um, you know, so. I don't know. I, I, I think there's an opportunity for Ole Miss to figure out some things on the mound over the next two weeks. I thought that two weeks ago. 
Um, I thought this slate of games, these these 12 games, was very, very important for Ole Miss. I thought they needed to go eight and four. Uh, they are currently two and four, and I don't really think the math works out for them to go eight and four. Hopefully I'm wrong. Um, but that was kind of my hope was over these next 12 games, they can figure out some things for some, from a pitching perspective. And, you know, you can go to Fayetteville, Arkansas with some confidence. But, unfortunately, um, you know, last weekend, you know, transpired like it did. But I still believe that that if they do pitch it well over the next two weekends, that you could find some things that could obviously benefit you going forward and maybe go in the rest of the year with some confidence. Absolutely. And in total fairness, they have to be sharp. I mean, this team did take two or three from Vandy. Vandy and, you know, they got after that Carter Holton kid on Saturday against Vanderbilt. I think that – I think he only made like four outs, if I'm not mistaken. And then they won – I won't say a slugfest, but a high-scoring Sunday game after getting absolutely blitzkrieged on Friday night. And I think that's another like, that's another point I had written down too was oh Miss really really needs to win the Thursday game like how how much stock do you put into them back ending this series like and I hate to do the whole you know must win they have to win this game but man doesn't Thursday feel like a must win I know it's literally not but yes whew. especially after our last weekend yeah you need to you need a breath of fresh air yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. front Thursday feels really really massive. It does. And, you know, the guy that's given them the best outings on the year is at least starting for them. I don't know why he wasn't earlier. And so um, as we get into it, South Carolina's you know, Sunday, original Sunday guy, Aiden Hunter, is going on Friday night for them. And that part of that's a little bit of uh, injury-wise. Actually, I take that back. You know, preseason-wise, they didn't really have him on the radar. I don't know much about this kid. I think he's a freshman right-hander, doesn't walk a lot of kids, uh, not a great ERA. Um, by any stretch of the imagination, but I think they're pretty much going with him and Hall on Saturday. Pretty much from what I gather is because they throw strikes and they've had a bunch of dudes that have it. And I think they're, I think they're pitching in reverse because do you know who they have going on Saturday? Will Sanders. Yes, who is their best pitcher on the roster. I think if the Bosnick kid was healthy, he'd have probably ended up being their ace. So the fact that they're pitching in reverse, does that tell you anything? Do they think? I think it tells me they think they can steal one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's probably what it means for sure. So, again, I, I think it adds to the fact that look, Dylan Delusia versus Adrian. Or I, I say Adrian. It's actually not Adrian R. I think it's Aiden Hunter. I mean, yeah, yeah. You can't win that, buddy. You're you're in big trouble with Will Hunter going. Yeah, well, especially when you consider Sanders on the back end. I was about to say Will Sanders. I'm all over the place today. Will Sanders on the back end. That makes Thursday incredibly important. And honestly. They got to win the first two because they're going to be at a disadvantage on on uh, Saturday. Like game three, that's kind of their guy. Um, he's the they, only guy. they are they are it's their best guy, but he's but he's not, not he's not a world beater. He's not Tanner. Uh, that happened, happened against like Auburn that. too. Um, True. I, I'm not scared if Ole Miss performs while they should of, of Will Sanders, but you're going to obviously, like you said, be at a pitching disadvantage. You would have to swing it really really well. Um, but he he's not, you know, Landon Sims or anything. Oh, absolutely not. Kid's still like a sub, like a, almost a three-and-a-half ERA. I think his whip is like 1.2, something like that. But he is the one guy through a barrage of injuries that yep. been, has been competent for them, right? They're missing the Hicks kid where I don't know exactly where he would have slid in, but an important pitcher for them. And then their bona fide Friday night guy, Julian Bosnick, has not pitched all year. I don't really know what the deal is with him left-handed guy um yeah. so they're basically missing two weekend guys and Sanders was kind of supposed to be 
the guy in the middle. And so you're basically facing two guys that they're having to replace, and then Will Sanders on Sunday hoping they can get a game. I would say against a good opponent, but Ole Miss, again, take care of business in the first two. Because if they win the first two, all of a sudden, Sunday's a massive game, but an entirely different way. Don't you agree? Yeah, it's – I mean, look, I'm not – when we do our predictions, I am not predicting Ole Miss to sweep. I'll spoil that. Oh, I, yeah. But if, if somehow you did win the first two, um, if you left Columbia, South Carolina, seven and eight, you roll in the next weekend against Mississippi State, and everything's kind of from a, not maybe not a national seed, but everything else is kind of back on the table. So yeah, at that point, if you did win the first two, Saturday becomes just ginormous. Nope, I think you nailed it. I think there's much more to say about it. Much more to say about the series. They're a terrible offense. They're kind of trying to pitch it, piece it together from a pitching standpoint as best they can, and you know through a, a couple of injuries, and so. Everything is on the table. I don't even. I was trying to think of some kind of encapsulating thought before we make our picks real quick and get out of here, but I can't. Everything is on the table for this team. They put themselves in a terrible position, but they are going on the road, which granted is tough, but against a very, very beatable opponent, and they have to take two. And if they can find a way, despite all the pitching problems and the offense can wake up, I actually think there is a. It just sounds so silly to say, but I'm just going to say it. A, a fairly okay chance they could actually back in their way to a sweep now you know someone will tweet me when they lose two out of three and they're five and ten and all this is a moot point like haha idiot like okay fair enough like I'm not I'm not predicting it by any means but what I'm saying is with the pitching that South Carolina has in the first two games there's a decent chance that Ole Miss if they play well will win the first two games then it sets up a Sunday game where you know you win that one and the conversation changes but again you play like crap and you lose on Thursday, then it's like, okay, now they're now it, they're really up against it. So yep. it's an absolutely yep. fascinating dynamic. You know, it's not yep. the place they wanted to be, but you, you, you can't accuse them of not being interesting. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Yeah, like, it's a train wreck, but hey, it's, it's a fascinating one. And the, the metaphorical train wreck is very, very entertaining. Let's make our picks and get out of here. This is uh, – right. I'm going home for Easter this weekend and probably going to have not much to do other than play some golf and watch some baseball. And we got some good series. Uh, may I interest you in a Mississippi State hosting Auburn? Auburn wins two. Auburn wins two and maybe gets three. Tastes not good. They had to come from Iowa last night to beat UAB. They should have lost that game. And LSU kind of manhandled them. And yeah, Auburn – has not been what we thought they were in the sense of, like, I thought they would pitch it okay and maybe not be that great of an uh, – excuse me, I thought they would be a decent offense and not pitch it great. They've kind of been the opposite. If you've noticed how they won game since, like, it's been the inverse. I don't know what happened to our beer league softball guy. Uh, maybe he's just <laughs> not enough on his own. But they're playing – they have to be playing with some confidence. I haven't watched a ton of Auburn the last two weeks, but, you know, they're rolling in at seven and five after their last two weekends. That smells like a series where they're they, they're sniffing blood in the water, don't you think? I wonder what Auburn pays Butch. Why? Why are you just, wondering that? Nah, just wondering. <laughs> no reason. <laughs> Do you think a certain school in Mississippi could match that? Uh, no, Southern Southern's pretty tight. A and M going to Georgia. I'm going to go Georgia too. I think we start to have to put Georgia. Two, but Cannon's out. not pitching this weekend. I was about to say. And did you see what the report was on that? Uh, muscle strain? Forearm tightness. Okay, so Cannon's probably out for the year. So, 
there was the uh, Scott Strickland had a very weird press conference on that. And the only reason I went and took the time to actually look up what the quotes were is because uh, actually I was listening to Jason Neal and they mentioned it. Apparently the MRI gave them quote unquote positive news, but he gave some weird quote about how anytime it's the forearm, you expect the worst. So well, it, I thought you had the MRI. Well, I was about to say, so it, it, it sounds like it's not Tommy John. It's like they said every buzzword possible to make you think, oh, this is Tommy John, and then apparently they had an MRI and they're not convinced. I don't know what that is, but it doesn't seem good. But I'm still going Georgia, too. Yeah, it's pretty good. So I'll, I'll take two from Georgia. Tennessee, Alabama uh, in Knoxville. Well, uh, ten- All right, I'm doing it. Tennessee wins two. I like that. The, the streak, the real streak comes to an end. I like Alabama to get a game, too. I think they're playing pretty good baseball. And, hey, if the bats are legal – Watch out for the Todd. Don't let them get hot. Um, Kentucky, Missouri. Oh, man. It's at Mizzou. Um, you ready for I'm going to go Kentucky. Prediction? Please don't say Missouri. You got Missouri sweeping? Missouri three. Missouri three. I'm going to go on the opposite. I'm going to go Kentucky two. So, okay, you're probably right. But, but Missouri is not bad. And they played – No, Kentucky. they're not horrendous. Excuse me. They played Tennessee somewhat competitive. And if you look at some of the defensive stuff, they don't make a ton of errors. Their offense kind of stinks. They're okay pitching-wise. But Tennessee I – mean, excuse me, I'm all over the place. God, Kentucky kicks the ball around the ballpark. Mm-hmm. That just reeks to me of, like, Missouri wins the Friday night game, Kentucky pisses away the Saturday one, and then all of a sudden Missouri's like, oh, my God, when is the last time we sweep someone? Like, well, should we call one of the Guinness guys over here? And boom, <laughs> all of a sudden it's Missouri Tigers three, which was so funny because – I was watching Sunday Night Baseball last week, and you know who's starting for the Red Sox? Scherzer. No, no. How? Yeah, Yeah. Mr. Tanner Houck. (laughs) I was like, this guy went to Mizzou. Oh, both of them went to Mizzou. Yeah, yeah. Somehow, some way. I'm going to go Mizzou 3. That's my bold prediction on the weekend. All right. Uh, Another big one in a strange way, Vanderbilt is hosting Florida. Florida back in. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, it is. Did you realize? So I, it took me going back to the schedule. I guess I realized this, but didn't really realize it. When Florida lost the Thursday night game to Arkansas last week, they'd lost six straight conference games. Yeah. Yeah. They lost two you know to goes, Georgia. As I say, you know what Florida does after this, right? Wins the series. Well, yes, that. But I mean, but they got popped by Florida State yesterday. Yes, they did. But so from a scheduling standpoint, though, think about it. They're down one game to nothing to Arkansas. They have a road trip to Vandy and Tennessee at home the next two weeks. How big of a series win was that for them last one? Massive. So now they're six and six. Yeah, it is massive. I'm going to go Florida wins too just because they got Barco, and I think he's really good. I think so too. Are we sure Vandy's any good? No, I'm not. That is an unranked Vandy team now. That's hard to do. LSU – or excuse me, sorry, we didn't make our picks. Uh, Ole Miss, uh, South Carolina. Ole Miss wins on Thursday and Friday and loses on Saturday. So I'm going with. I think I'm going Ole Miss too as well, but I won't be shocked at anything. You can tell me any results happen. I'm like, oh, I think I'm all right. <laughs> Ole Miss swept. Oh, yeah. See how that Ole Miss got swept. Well, yeah. Don't okay. tweet me when they're four and eleven and we're having to figure out what we're going to talk about on Sunday. I, again, I'll say Ole Miss too. I think they're the better baseball team. South Carolina's offense, outside of one weekend in SEC play, outside of the Texas weekend, seems pretty putrid. 
I'm going to go Ole Miss too, but again, like you just said, is there any result that would shock me? Absolutely not. And then lastly, a fascinating one, Arkansas hosting LSU. Arkansas too. I think Arkansas too. I'm actually Almost not sure LSU's good. Um, and Baum's a tough place to win. I think it's Arkansas, too. And it actually wouldn't shock me if Arkansas took three and LSU came back down to earth a little bit. They, for whatever LSU. reason, do not play well against LSU, though. Yeah, that is true. That is very true. I don't know. I just think Arkansas is better. I feel like they let one guy away. Oh, They're winning the West going away, aren't they? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Unless Auburn – uh, I was about to yeah. say, here's a take. Is their biggest threat to win the West Auburn? Maybe. Yeah, because it's a, that series is at Auburn this year. Man, doesn't that underscore the costly sweeps that Ole Miss has had? Because I don't think Ole Miss is a great team, but it's not a great SEC, and it's certainly not a great West this year. Obviously, I mean, if Ole Miss doesn't get swept, it's two games behind Arkansas with, you know, Mississippi State and South Carolina on the schedule compared to, you know, Arkansas playing LSU and whoever they would play the next week before the two teams played and failed. And Mizzou on the schedule and A&M for Ole Miss. Yeah. It's a um, – Getting swept at home twice sucks. That's a that, that that's the kills your RPI too. I was about to say we went an hour and a half. That's the uh, that is the all all ending conclusion of the pod is that hey, getting swept at home twice not good. Thoughts? <laughs> I <didn't> advise <laughs> doing it again. I'm gonna so, I'm gonna give I'm gonna give Mike some advice. Don't do it a third time. Oh, I think that's good advice. I hope he listens to that. Maybe he listens to the show. Don't don't do it the next time. Last thing before I let you go to bed late on this Wednesday night, because I know you love to do it. I'll tee this up for you. Would you like to talk some – by the time I think people have listened to this, I think I'm going to do an open on the basketball team. Would you like to talk about what – I'm starting to breathe hard. What the press release that Kermit put out after the season versus now is happening. Jarkel Joyner probably – he's in the portal. He's probably headed to NC yep. State. I think Luis, Luis Rodriguez may be headed with him. Uh, thoughts on the basketball program? I just tee you up any way you want to go because. So is the kid from uh, Jackson State? Is he going to play like point guard and small forward like at the same time, or or is is I mean I have heard of combo guards before. Is he going to literally be a combo guard, a point guard, and a shooting guard at the same time? Because it feels like we're just that we just don't have any bodies right now. Is what it feels like. I hate to do this. This could potentially be a legendary podcast moment. I promise you I'm not clowning on you because I don't keep up with basketball recruiting that much. I know you're a baseball football guy. I get it. I can't tell if you're being sarcastic. He's a he's a forward. I, I, that's, that's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. Someone's got to play point guard. <laughs> I think they'll probably try to play rough. And- yeah, yeah, that's probably, yeah but he's got to take a break. But no, I know, but hold on. I'm trying to look this up in real time because did you – I'm guessing you didn't see this press release that they put out, the basketball team put out. They officially announced that uh, – I had like three text messages from it, and people were like, or, or, what are we doing? You um, All pissed off on a late Wednesday night. Are you ready for this? This is the press release. This is released by the school. So this is on like OleMissSports.com. That is correct. Okay. Um, where is it? He plays with – nope, this is the wrong one. Hold on. I think I'm on the wrong person. Oh, they had a high school kid. There we go. J- Javavius McKinnis. 
he's had a fantastic career at Jackson State. He's an elite-level athlete. He was second in the nation in rebounding two years ago, and against us he had 12 points, 12 rebounds, and three blocks. Well, that's like shit. A lot of people do that. Are you ready for this? This is the last line. It's the quicker – the kicker. I think Jay will continue to make great strides in his face-up and shooting – his face-up game and shooting the basketball. As your basketball coach, and the university issued press release saying, "Yeah, he's not great facing up, and he can't really shoot, but we're going to work on that." The team, the team, for two years, has three years, has been able to hit a shot. Their marquee transfer portal guy is the guy that they think is going to have to improve shooting the basketball. That's wonderful. That's what if I told you that wasn't the end of the quote? Oh, okay, good. There's more. No, no. Well, there's not a whole lot more. It's in uh, – I forget. I'm going back to my uh, English days. It's an incomplete clause. It couldn't be a sentence on its own. Comma, and he is truly Mississippi made. That's oh, God. <laughs> that's, that's what I got. That's, that's – yeah, because there were people like, what are we doing? And that, that, that's what they're talking about. Okay. Yeah. It's from, uh, the last Mississippi made guys out of coaching. Well, he is from Mississippi. They didn't lie. So I'm uh, – that's true. I am too, and I have I have five years of eligibility. Um, but I'm just saying they didn't lie. <laughs> that is where the basketball team is at. I to put a serious note on it. I just I do. I think Joiner was the greatest fit with Morell and Ruffin. No, but you can't do the whole weird press release thing you did and talk about how you anticipate no staff turnover and you're going to attack the portal harder than anyone in the country. And say you're going to have a great nucleus with Jarkel, Morell, and Ruffinback, and name them by name, and the staff is gone and Joiner's gone. You you can't. Yeah, do- and 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 I, I guess, I mean, I'm glad he's staying, obviously, but I guess Matt Morell just really likes Ajax. Oh, I was going to go chicken on a stick, but you're probably right. Sure. Yeah, I, I'm guessing my man is is big fan of the uh, Oxford cuisine because uh, otherwise, I don't really get what he's doing. But I'm glad he's not because uh, almost certainly going to need him to, you know, probably have an eligible basketball team next year. And the, the, the other part of it is the, the press conference he had after the Mizzou game was, yeah, we took too many high school kids. They took four high school kids last year. Guess how many high school kids they're taking this year? Four. Four. I'm sure this time will be different. It's like when the NFL, when they pay running backs and it never works out and then they continue to do it. I'm sure this time will be different. The we're going to attack – I think the other quote he has, we're going to attack the portal harder than anyone in the country, and they're only portal signee so far. And granted, there's time, but this is the peak time was the kid that is going to continue to make great strides face up and shooting the ball. Well, granted, I mean, you know, they may be attacking the portal hard, but it's kind of like, you know, if you're trying to get a prom date, you can ask 30 people, but if all of them say no, you still don't have a prom date. What if you had three assistants to get you a prom date, but you decided to only have one? Yeah. Yeah. Have they not hired an assistant or two? No. Have you heard a name? I think a kid from – with I say kid. A guy from within is getting promoted. But uh, outside of that, I mean, have you ever even heard – have you heard anything, a name? No. Okay. I, I've, I've not heard a name. I um, cannot I, wait. I, oh, go ahead. I just – I'd rather – is Coach Yo doing something? I'd rather just talk about her. She is still at Ole Miss. But uh, I, for mm-hmm. one, cannot wait for Joe Lenardi's first bracketology to see where the Rebels land. This has been oh. Colin Brister, the uh, Rippy Wrights baseball correspondent. 
I don't know like how we keep doing this. I told you as we were started recording like nine o'clock on a Tuesday or a Wednesday, I was like, all right, let's get this done quick. And then I got you raining on basketball. And now here we sit in the, you know, wee hours of Wednesday night. So I appreciate the time as always, my man. We'll talk to you Sunday. All right. Everybody sounds good. All right. That is our show. If you made it to the end, I appreciate you making us a part of your day. Probably no mailbag Friday this week. I'm headed uh, home to the sip for, uh, for Easter weekend. We got the Thursday-Saturday series. It'll probably just be Con and I Sunday baseball conversation, but back to a normal schedule next week. Appreciate you guys listening, as always. Love the feedback on the pod, uh, both good and bad. And, uh, again, appreciate you listening. It means a ton. Enjoy your weekend. Be safe. Don't do anything I wouldn't do or do. I can't control you people. You're all adults. And we will talk to you on Sunday. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.